Many of you have asked me how I felt because I had not been too well this past week. I guess I have a general cold through my system, and then my back was in very bad shape so that I could hardly walk. But I'm doing pretty good otherwise. I'm up here. And uh, as we look at the Word this morning, I trust we will be blessed together. Uh, I want to continue with you on the marriage supper of the Lamb. And uh, it's, it's a most thrilling study to my heart. It's found over, of course, in Revelation, the 19th chapter. And I have read it to you. Uh, I just uh, mention it in, in passing so that we know the portion that I am discussing. It, marriage Supper of the Lamb just precedes the Great Tribulation. It is the last event, if I can say. I should, shouldn't say just precedes the Great Tribulation. It is at the end of the Tribulation period, just preceding the coming in of the Millennial Kingdom. It sort of matches while tribulation is going on on earth, up in glory, two things have happened. Number one, the church has been before the judgment seat of Christ, every individual answering for the deeds done in the body, whether they be good or bad. On earth will be the last terrible tribulation, the 70th week of Daniel, the seven-year period. Little flesh shall live upon the face of the earth unless those days were shortened. There was never a time that we understand that better than now. Since there are enough nuclear warheads to destroy the earth three times over and kill, they overkill is the name, there is overkill. In other words, there is sufficient power to kill everybody three times. There is 35,000 tons of TNT for every man, woman, and child upon the earth. So when we think of little flesh living and we realize that it will be not man's judgment in the Great Tribulation but God's judgment upon the earth, we realize the tremendous, tremendous time of trial that is coming for the earth. Israel's trouble. Jacob's trouble. It shall be that last week before the coming in of the millennial kingdom. During that time, the judgment seat of Christ, first for the church, and then toward the end of the seven years or in that period in there, the great marriage supper of the Lamb. Now in the fifth verse of the 19th chapter, it says, a voice came out of the throne saying, praise our God, all ye his servants, and ye that fear him, both small and great, and I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, and as a voice of many waters, and as a voice of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor unto him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. 
or in the Greek, the righteous deeds of the saints, our clothing that we wear there shall be in direct proportion to our life here. It will be clean and pure and white, but it tells us that it shall be the righteous deeds of the saints. God gives us a place. Everybody shall not be the same in glory. The scriptures are clear on that. One glory excelleth another, it tells us in 1 Corinthians 15. This one glory of the sun and one glory of the moon and one glory of the stars. It goes down all the different glories and then it says, so is the resurrection from the dead. It's not all going to be the same. Yes, all glorified bodies. But I tell you, all Christians just can't be the same. Otherwise, God would not be just. And so there will be gradations of glory. Glory, yes. Fashion bodies like under Christ's body, yes. But different positions in glory. That's why I urge husbands and wives to have a comparable life. So that in glory, they will be the same. It's not easy to say these things, but it's very clear that we receive that from the hand of the Lord Jesus. All that we have put into our Christian lives. Much responsibility falls upon us once we are saved, not in salvation. Salvation is of God. But much responsibility falls upon us when we are saved to make sure that our lives are separated unto the Lord Jesus Christ. Every single person is individual. You cannot count on your husband except in one fashion. The Lord does say this, and I say this very carefully. A wife who has children, the mother who sits by the stuff, the Lord says she'll receive the same reward. Now, what does this mean? It means this, that if there is a wife or a mother who is in accord with her husband and encourages his heart and doesn't complain and takes the attitude, I love you with all my heart, my husband, and I'm so happy you're serving Christ, for together in glory we shall share because I have had to sit by the stuff while you have labored. And all oh, this is so important, wife, mother, that you understand this. A complaining wife it always makes me think of some of the great saints of God, you know. I, one of my favorite uh, authors is F.B. Meyer. Uh, I guess I've read every book he ever wrote. Not in the last few years, uh, but I've read every book. And I would pick them up in, you know, in, in, in used bookshops because I knew there was such a blessing to my soul. If ever you get a chance, you see one, pick it up and read it. Great truths. And yet this man, who was one of the great preachers back in the 1800s, late 1800s, this man of God had a wife who was a shrew. Nothing but taunting him for his labors for Jesus Christ. 
She was a Christian. But I wonder in glory what it will be. I will not make the judgment, but I will say this, that since God does say there are different glories, different things, the wife who's faithful and with her husband, and even though she may not be able to get out to every function, and, uh, you know, as a pastor, I'm very careful here. I want a husband and wife to labor, but I don't want them to be apart too much. I don't want the husband running out Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, and the wife out Tuesday and Thursday, so that the only time they see each other is on Saturday. This is not the true work of the church. I don't want anyone to be so loaded with jobs that they don't have time for love in the family. This is a tragedy. And I, it would break my heart if I thought that anything like that was happening in any family life, that they were losing the joy of the fellowship in Jesus Christ because of continual activity. There is a time to come apart and to be together. And if there's love between a husband and wife, just as the Lord Jesus warns us to the church of Ephesus in Revelation, you've left your first love. He wants that to be reflected in our married lives because marriage is a picture of Christ and his church. And so we have to be terribly careful. And I say that so carefully. I object to people who are continually running to hear speakers and neglecting the family. We don't have to have any star speakers. If you've got the word of God and you've got love in your family and you love the Lord Jesus with all your heart and you have your devotions with your children at your table, beloved, this is the thing that counts. This is the thing that counts. And so, you know, I, I sometimes wish, and Ernie and the, and the deacons know I've mentioned this, but these are things, of course, which you wish you could do because the churches in the Midwest and the West, and I've been to them, which have very large plants. I mean, they have maybe two and 3,000 in attendance and very large buildings and six and seven buildings. Everything is held on Wednesday night. Pioneers, brigade, first everybody comes for supper. They have a 75 cent supper. And the whole family comes, children, mother, daddy, and everything. Then they all go to prayer. Then they all go to their meetings. So that one night a week is taken from the family. And the rest of the week, visitation and everything is done on Wednesday night. These are the great churches in the West run by some of the greatest preachers. We've had some of them here at our prophetic congress who have these kind of churches. It's wonderful. We don't have that kind of plant. But I just would pray that... It, for each one here, that there never be so much activity that you don't have that time of fellowship with each other in your family lives together. And so when we speak of, you know, the lamb and his wife and the wife hath made herself ready and to her was granted that she be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints, I would remind you that one of the most righteous acts that any child of God will ever perform 
is to be a good mother and a good father to the children, and yet not to neglect the sanctuary of God and the work of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's a place of labor for the children of God. And so, as he speaks of this, I just wanted to bring that out. This is very important in our own personal lives. And he said unto me, right, blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, these are the true sayings of God. Now, beloved, other scriptures, of course, bear this out. Second Corinthians 11.2, I'm jealous over you with a godly jealousy, for I've espoused you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin unto Jesus Christ. How can this be? How can I be a chaste virgin? Only through the judgment seat of Christ. Everything has to be cleansed out of the way. That's why there's a judgment seat, to get it out of the way, those things where we fail God. Then that verse in Hebrews 12.2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross and despised the shame and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. That's why he did it. Because God was giving his son a bride. And oh, how blessed that is. You know, it would be like a man, I don't know, someone said this to me yesterday, I forget who it was. Well, Friday night at the Adult Fellowship Banquet, if you missed that, that was a wonderful night we had together. But uh, they said to me, uh, you know, I only have sons. And they said, isn't it wonderful that my sons have married Christian girls and I have daughters? And I couldn't help but think of this, how glorious this is. God has his only begotten son. And here you and I are, the bride of Jesus Christ. And so God has, in a very great sense, the other half, the daughter, you see. All those who are going to be the bride of Christ, we're all going to be merged together, you see, with him. And God has brought us into this glorious family relationship so that we can come to him and we have received that glorious privilege of saying, Abba, Father, because of the fact that we have found Christ as our Savior. And to us is this great joy that who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross and despised the shame that he might bring many sons unto glory. And so, beloved, here we are as part of this family of God. I couldn't help but notice this week, I don't know how many of you re read David Lawrence in the, in the newspapers. He's one of the real good writers. But he's the man that I quoted when I mentioned church attendance. He says, weekly attendance at church by adults in America has now dropped to 42%. Observers have been told that there is a widespread, this is David Lawrence, disapproval of the tendency of clergymen to preach sermons about governmental affairs rather than to deal with spiritual problems and spiritual concepts. 
Ministers nowadays believe in trying to mold public opinion by devoting sermons to political and social issues. If the preachings were confined to the obligations of individuals telling them why they should lead orderly lives, there could hardly be any criticism. But many who have been attending church feel that the ministers have gone too far in putting so much stress on issues that are really not related to spiritual guidance. Then he says, in the past, the ministers of God, irrespective of religious denomination, concentrated on the examination of problems of the human soul. Now, this is a man who I have no idea what his faith is. But the thing is that he's bringing out that unless the preacher from the pulpit is preaching the word of God, we've got problems. And ministers have become involved in all kinds of concepts. And the concept of Christ as the bridegroom of the church and the church's bride is about as far from most people's thinking as you could possibly think. There is no understanding of it, no concept of it. And I think that unless we were to understand this, unless we realize that this great love that Christ has for us is something far beyond anything that we can conceive of. For I have to say this, beloved, that love today is a word that is tossed around as though it means nothing. The merest of friends can say, I love you, as though it's a little word you toss off your tongue. That word love is used by the hippies, it's used by everybody. And there's not one bit of understanding of what love really is. Love is associated merely with some fleshly actions. And yet true love has nothing to do with this. The kind of love that God speaks about is totally different. It's not something theoretical. It's something, beloved, that is very, very practical. And Jesus Christ makes this very clear in his word. It's, it's, it's the most practical thing in the world, if I can say. And the great principle we are taught of the love of God and the love of the bridegroom for his bride is that he loves us and has given himself for us. Now, the teaching of the Lord concerning love would hardly be accepted with most people. The teaching of the Lord concerning love, listen to what he says in his word. Who is he that loveth me? And he answers the question. He that keepeth my commandments. You wouldn't expect that, would you? He that keepeth my commandments. How it sounds prosaic, really, if we listen to the people in the world today. You can throw that word love around as though it means nothing. But God tells us he that keepeth his commandments. This is how we show our love for him. This is love, that a man shall keep my commandments. For it is not what you or I say that really shows that we love. You say that? 
you know, we could we can read all the poems in the world, and we can write all the lovely love letters in the world, and we can know how to do all these things, and we can know how to say, I love you, I love you, I love you, till we're blue in the face. But I want to tell you, it's more than that. Much more than that. Because saying it is simple. If, if that was just a matter of what it was, you know, that you just say, I love you, you can look at all the poets who write on love. And you can be swept up in this thing. Romance and love and all the beautiful words until you read the life of the poets who wrote the words. Then you're shocked. How could these men write these words and look at their lives? Libertine. What they were thinking of love was totally different from what God is speaking about when he speaks about love. And when Jesus speaks of it in Ephesians, the fifth chapter, herein is love, you see. This is the big thing. Love within us. Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. How blessed that is. He came into this world, he took upon himself the form of sinful flesh. He humbled himself. He became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And this is the great love that he had for you and for me, and this is the love that a husband is to have for his wife. Oh, you can't do it exactly like Christ did it, but he says, I want you to notice what Jesus did. He humbled himself. He became obedient unto death. He did not exalt himself. He abased himself. And he says, now I want you to notice, he loved the church and he gave himself for it. Husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. He emptied himself. He humbled himself. May I say this? He didn't come in great glory to take the church himself, nor did he desire that he would rule. But he came humbly and he offered himself. Let me say this, any husband whose business or whose attaining unto fame or prestige or power or riches takes more of his time and more of his time so that he's not devoted to his wife in tender and deep love. This is not in God's will. Husbands, love your wives, how? Like Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. He humbled himself. He counted it not robbery to be equal with God. He was obedient 
He did what God wanted. He said, I do always those things that please my father. Now, he says, husbands, I want you to understand, you're to love your wife like Christ. May I speak just to the men, all right? Like Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Is this the way you love your wife? Is, is the dollar more important than your wife and your family? I don't know. Sometimes I think men must think they're going to live six or seven lives. They're attaining. They've got to get riches. They've got to get that. I don't. Listen, your children aren't that interested in riches. In fact, this generation we're living in is probably less interested in riches than any generation we've had. They are sick and tired of the exaltation of the dollar. And many of the problems we have are stemming right from that order. And I think when a man reaches that point that his business takes so much of his time that he has no time for the devotion and the holy tender love of a bridegroom for his bride and a father for his children, he is missing a mark and missing everything in life. You know, don't get a second chance, you know. Your married life with your wife, husband, is the most blessed and important thing of your life. It needs devotion. It needs tenderness. It needs compassion. Oh, yes, wives, submit yourselves unto your husbands as unto the Lord. But God wants a man who loves that wife like Christ loved his church and gave himself for it. He sacrificed himself for it. We have missed the mark in marriages. Why are marriages collapsing? Because, beloved, they have not been joined together in Jesus Christ understanding what love really is. If in my ministry for Jesus Christ... I didn't have enough time to devote to Alice as my wife. I'd be a failure to God. And because that devotion is a necessity before God, if it's going to reflect to this world outside Christ and his church, and he the bridegroom and the church his bride. It's a holy relationship. We've got our problems today because there's a lack right in the Christian church of the kind of relationship that God wants a man to have to his wife who are in the Lord. Oh, if I could just imprint this on your heart. It's so important. Remember what Christ bestows upon his church. He bestows his life upon the church. You remember when you got married? A wife becomes a sharer of the life of her husband. When Christ came and took his church, he has brought us to himself. He has made us members of his body and of his flesh and of his bones. He is sharing his life with us. Before you were married, you did as you pleased. You know, you talk about, you hear people talking about single blessedness and all that, married blessedness. Well, beloved, let us remember that when you got married, you no longer did what you pleased. What a man does as a husband, his wife is now his primary concern. 
he has someone else to think about. Husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church, and he gave himself for it. And so we're sharers of the very life of Jesus Christ. When he who is our life shall appear. You see? He is our life. And so we're sharing that life together. And a husband and wife are to be sharing each other's lives together. Sometimes you hear people say, you know, you'll hear a married couple, a, a Christian couple, and one says, Pastor, I've been called to go out to the foreign field. And I'll say, well, how about your wife? Well, she's not in it with me. I say, well, something wrong with the call. Something wrong with the call. I say, you're both born-again Christians? We're both born-again Christians. What does God say to you? He says, you have received the mind of Christ. If you've been called, she's been called. If there's a division, the call is not true. Because where the Lord Jesus speaks of there being divisions between husbands and wives and all of the children, he's not speaking about born-again ones. He's speaking about a saved one and an unsaved one. But where the two know the Lord Jesus, that call has to be the same to each one to serve the Lord Jesus. Why? Because they're sharers of each other's life. There can be no divisions. What does Paul say? Whereas there are divisions amongst you and schisms, are ye not carnal and not spiritual? There can't be, especially in a husband and wife. He talks of the church in Corinth. But here's a husband and wife. How can there ever be a division, you see, amongst them? If one has been definitely called of the Lord and they have been made one in Jesus Christ, members of his flesh and of his body and of his bones, and they have received the mind of Christ, then the mind of Christ has been given them by the Holy Spirit, and as one they act. Suppose when God called me, he didn't call Alice. What a tragedy that would have been. As a matter of fact, I wouldn't be here today unless God had called Alice. For it was out of a clear blue sky, I invited her out to lunch with me, and at the luncheon table, I just told her God had called me to leave my business and to serve him. You know, that's a, that's a, that's a big step. And I was just looking to the Lord. The fleece was out. And she looked at me across the table. I can remember it so well over in the candlelight restaurant. She looked at me across the table and she just looked and said, I've been praying for that for quite a while. You see? That was it. That was it. The call was clear. And so, beloved, in our married lives, there's not to be divisions. If you love Christ together, you have the mind of Christ together. You have the same Holy Spirit. You've been born of the Spirit of God. Do you let things rankle in your family lives? Oh, beloved, never do this. Never, remember the scripture says, never let the sun go down on your wrath. Never. Husband and wives, please never go to bed angry at each other. This is not of God. Always make sure that before you retire, before you get to sleep, that everything is cleared with the Lord. The Lord could come tonight. 
What a terrible tragedy it would be if a husband and wife had some misunderstanding and the Lord Jesus came. And that misunderstanding would be a heartbreak at the judgment seat of Christ. Oh, how many tender, wonderful things. Husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Ephesians 5. He loved the church. He gave himself for it that he might sanctify it. You see what it is first? He speaks of redemption first, that he gave himself for it. It's the whole thing God puts down. It says, number one, he gave himself for it. This is the redemption you have as a husband and wife in Christ Jesus. Number two, he sanctified it. He separated it unto himself. And so there is the glory of sanctification together unto God to be looking to Jesus for the blessings upon the family. And then, and then it goes on to say, and he glorified. You see? Glorification. So that you have salvation and sanctification and glorification as you look at Ephesians 5. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, and that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle. Oh, how I pray that that's what's in your hearts today. See? The glorious privilege of being a husband and wife, of being made one. Do you feel that oneness in the spirit, not just the flesh? Not just the flesh. You know, I, I never want to go over backwards on this. I'm, I have to say this very clearly. It's very important that there be fleshly attraction. That's part. But the most important thing is that you be in Christ and in love with each other. God never cast out the natural, but he puts the supernatural imprinted upon it. And he says, just before you, because you're a Christian, you won't be attracted to everybody. But when you are attracted to somebody, make sure that they are born again so that you have attraction, you have love, you know Christ. When you get a marriage like that, you've got something. May I say this? Better never to marry if you get anything less. Let us pray. Father, we do thank thee for thy word. Lord, bless it to our hearts. These are simple things. Oh, Father, how we pray that husbands and wives will just be deeply in love with Christ. May we never fail to remember that we have but one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ can last. And although that is not a biblical saying, yet it has much to say to us. It says only what's done for Christ can last. And Christ says this to the husband and wife. Why? Submit yourselves unto your husbands as unto the Lord. And husbands, love your wives like Christ loved his church and gave himself for it. Father, in this church, may there never be a lack of love between a husband and wife. Oh, how I pray for that. Sometimes loves wane. 
but they can be stirred up again. They can be brought back exactly where you want it, where there's true devotion to Jesus Christ and to a desire to have a marriage the way Christ wants it. If we're going to be rebellious and do as we please, we'll never have that kind of a marriage. But Lord, where the heart is willing, God can do it. And so we pray for everyone here this morning. We're thankful that whether married or single, we are the bride of Jesus Christ. We're redeemed. We're promised a love that far exceeds any love of earth. But upon those who are married and mothers and fathers, we pray that the mark of God will be upon them in their marriage. And the children will be able to say of their mother and father when they age, my mother and father loved Christ and loved each other, and I will never forget it. For Lord, not only do the teachings of the Bible bear it out, but even the teachings in other fields bear out that as a father and mother are, so are the children. So Lord, put thy hand upon us and bless us as families and as the bride of Jesus Christ. Fill our hearts with God's love. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.